Hey, everybody, before we get to the latest, we got this with Mark and Hal. You may already be aware if you follow us on social media or any of our other Maximum Fun sister shows that this is Max Fun Drive. We're going to tell you more about that later on in the show. But I really hope uh, that if you've been listening to us for a while and you have the means to become a member and contribute directly to this show and allow Mark and I to continue doing what we do, that you'll take a moment to do that. You go to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. You get it set up and only takes about 30 seconds seconds and make sure most importantly and i talk about this a bunch with mark mark we got this as one of the podcasts you listen to that is the only way to ensure that we benefit directly from your contribution and also we have some stretch goals that are specific for the new and upgrading members who specifically support we got this everything from a live streamed mini episode to a call-in show where you leave us your feedback and we respond to it on the episodes where you agreed or disagreed with the decision and the big one of course is the ability of our listeners to vote on and overturn any decision that we've made in the past 12 months. Uh, we're going to put out a fun image that gives you a meter. We'll update you as things go. But until that time, become a member, contribute, contribute, contribute. If you don't have the means to either upgrade or become a member, spread the word. And if you become a member, let us know on social media. Don't be shy about it. Be proud. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're going to hear more about that a little bit later, but first, please enjoy this special Max Fun Drive episode of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best Hanna-Barbera cartoon. That's right, don't worry everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Oh, Hal, I have a giant stack of papers in front of me. And most pages uh, of the paper at some point say either Scooby-Doo or Flintstones New Hour or some sort of insanity. <laughs> Help me make sense of what is happening right now. I'm going to do that, but I, we're, we're not alone. Oh, thank God. Sakes. We have uh, the patriarch of the McElroys. <laughs> The great Clint McElroy. <laughs> Clint McElroy. I was wondering who was in my earphones. <laughs> I am the Pater Familia. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Clint, you and I met, was it last year? Yes, sir. Yeah. It was last year. Instant, instant best friends. Is hey, that I, weird I, for I, me to I, say? I, no, no. I think it's incredibly accurate. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm sorry you both suffer from IBF. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. <laughs> yeah. That's what, that's how we bonded. It was in the men's room. Thanks for bringing yeah. it up, Mark. Boom, 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 boom. I don't have any paper over here. Boom, boom, boom. We are tough luck, pal. Yeah. That was, that was good times. Good, it's, good times. It started so contentious. And then, and then yeah. we figured it out. We were like, I, like all good buddy movies. Exactly. We found the common ground after the hate. <laughs> Uh, but you you chose to talk about Anna Barbera cartoons. This was suggested by Josh Sinison. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Uh, why why'd you choose this? Um, well, be because um, I'm have always been a huge Hanna Barbera fan. I can safely say I'm the only one of the three of us who probably watched every one of the first oh I don't know thirty forty projects of Hanna Barbera live on TV. Right. 
because I lived back in, you know, Civil War times and we didn't have DVRs. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and I've always been a huge fan. My absolutely, I don't want to, I don't want to bias the mission here, but absolutely my, probably my favorite cartoon of all time is a Hanna-Barbera project and the second or third of all time. So, uh, yeah. And also because it's very nostalgic for me because kids, there used to be a time where you owned Saturday morning television. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You owned it. It was all for you. And that was such a great time. It was such a cultural touchstone for me and I think the people of my generation. And, you know, I don't even know if, well, they probably still had some Saturday morning cartoons by the time you guys came along as, as, as little, uh, yeah, eighties and nineties. There was a there were a lot of cartoons. Yeah, I right. think we're I think we're one of the last generations yeah. to really have a concentrated programming block on Saturday mornings just for kids. And there there was some Hanna Barbera in there. Right. I think the CW was like the last bastion right. of Saturday morning cartoons. Yes. Is there anywhere now that is like because everything's been so fractured into a million places to find things, you don't have to like the big broadcast networks don't have to be like, all right, we got to serve everybody. Kids, this is your big chunk right here. Go. Right. It's it does feel like uh like uh, the kids of the world have lost some of their power. Not owning Saturday mornings like that. Yeah. yeah it, and it really was. I mean, it, mom and dad would sleep in. You come out in your PJs. Yeah. You get those little boxes of cereal that you, you know, pried open with a, and I mean the little boxes of cereal that you pried the, the ones box that open. have the, uh, yeah, that have like the built in bowl. So they right. say, and you just poured the milk in. And of course it never worked, but we didn't, you know, we didn't know. And you'd plop down in front of the TV set and watch one of <gasps> three. Channels? Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that Hanna-Barbera somehow managed to squeeze 4,000 cartoons yep. onto. Yeah. At one, at one point, when CBS had uh, one of their Saturday morning blocks. I, I, I want to say late, late, uh, maybe mid, late seventies. And of the, of the, uh, 10 hours of, of programming in that Saturday morning block, six mm. hours belonged to Hanna-Barbera. So yeah, wow. prodigious in the amount of, of, of things that they put out and not all of them great yeah no. you know <laughs> i've been reviewing our researcher kate mcmanus put together printed out god this bless is, you kate mcmanus this oh. is the aforementioned giant stack that i'm sure you are looking at as well i think uh, it's like 12 pages printed out yeah but uh what i've noticed is that that Hanna barbera cartoons are fall into specific buckets here, here are the buckets I figured out. Let me know if I missed any or if I'm inaccurate. <laughs> One is animals who wear hats and challenge authority figures with no necks. Right. Be they, be they police officers or park <laughs> rangers or pet store owners. Um, then th that sort of covers your Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, Top Cat. Mm -hmm, right. Um, is Wally Gator, is Wally Gator? Wally Gator. Yeah. yeah. Wally Gator. Um, and a little bit rough. Wally Gator sounds like the eye in the sky on the local channel. Wally Gator in traffic. That's right. Then, then you have straight up just lifting intellectual property that exists because they did Abbott and Costello. They did, um, Laurel and Hardy. They adapted Sinbad into Sinbad Jr. and his magic belt. Yeah. Uh, on and on and on. I mean, they did. Everything. I mean, they, they did an Adams family. They did the Partridge family 2200 AD. Yes. For crying out wow. loud. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Godzilla. 
Yeah. So did yeah. they think that kids just wouldn't know? They're like, eh, kids aren't watching the primetime shows. Let's just make a version of Happy Days for them. Call well, it Fonz and Friends, and I, uh, and they'll have their version too. I think it's one of the strengths, honest to God, of of Hanna Barbera. They are not remembered as great animators when it comes to art. But, you know, when they when they came over from MGM from making absolutely beautiful Tom and Jerry cartoons, these guys were out of work because MGM closed their their cartoon uh, division in like 1957. So they were visionaries enough to say, hey, you know what? This TV thing, it might just catch on. Uh, and and they moved it, they are really innovators when it comes to the development and production of animation. They came up with a style called, well, they didn't call it limited. They called it planned animation, but it was limited animation. Right. This is where there was like six frames of, or however right. many. Yeah, six frames instead of maybe 12. Mm -hmm. And some of those frames were static, and all they would do would be to animate, say, the mouth. Uh, and so they were able to go from spending like, you know, 35 grand for seven minutes of Tom and Jerry down to, you know, maybe four grand for an episode of, of Rough and Ready or something like that. Yeah. So I, they were these great providers. They came with this great system. And I, I think the industry, they said, yeah, that, that works. Let's do a whole bunch of that. And, you know, I think people were knocking down their doors to get to them. Um, and like I said, I don't think. I don't know if I would call them great artists, but I think they were really, really smart about putting together the right kind of people, choosing the right ideas and, and, and knowing what would work. And God bless them. I mean, you can't fault for how <laughs> right? much, yeah. how much they've done. Now, a lot of it, like you said, was redoing things they did that worked. Right. But the, the times where they said, all right, let's do something completely artistic, completely different. Um, were not necessarily big financial successes for them. So let me ask you this: We, uh, if if we're looking at the best Hanna Barbera cartoons, what is their? Would you consider their Tom and Jerry cartoons to be Hanna Barbera cartoons? Or are we talking oh. specifically about that golden age once they have figured out this uh, Hanna Barbera factory? Um. The best, uh, the best output from that. It does seem like Tom and Jerry are an outlier because those yeah. are MGM cartoons. They, MGM cartoons. Right. Yeah. They didn't create they were, the characters. They were working for Harmon Ising, which believe it or not really was the name of these two guys. Um, now I don't know if you can because Tom and Jerry were full blown, full animation. Um, right. that, where it wasn't really, they were like, you know, Joe was the, they would work in this way where, where Bill would, you know, kick around ideas with Joe and Joe would act them all out. And then uh, uh, Joe Barbera was, I mean, uh, yeah, Joe Barbera was this lightning fast draftsman and would, would, you know, start doing sketches and storyboarding and all this other kind of stuff. And then they go back and, and fill it in. And I don't think it was until they, they really left where they had complete control over all the product. As much as I love Tom and Jerry and as mm -hmm. huge and important as Tom and Jerry is, I don't know. I, for one thing, Art-wise, it just smokes everything they did when they went to television. And it was when they went to television that they became real pioneers, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. And I yeah. think visually, you know, you mentioned visually uh, that definitely very simplistic. Certainly the early stuff like Rough and Ready, Top Cat, 
Uh, but it, when they got into the late sixties, they started to, to come up with some really interesting, uh, looking stuff. I, I thought. Is that your second bucket? That, well, my other, well, the other, so we have. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot about the buckets. Animals with tiny hats, right? <laughs> we have, uh, we have the lifted material from somewhere else. And you might even add the Flintstones to that, although right. it's, I think it's more inspired by the, I mean, it's definitely the Honeymooners in the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. But then they well, also Jackie did, Gleason, Jackie Gleason thought it was close enough. He actually considered suing. That's right. Oh, wow. And, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty identical to the Honeymooners. And his, yeah. And his lawyers talked him out of it. Because um, uh, it's said, a real mean thing to do. Yeah. Do you want to be the guy that took yeah. the Flintstones off the air? I mean, it, it, there's tons and tons about this. I mean, and they knew it. I mean, the guys that worked on the show even called, you know, Barney Rubble, Carney Double, you know, for Art Carney. Uh, yeah. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but I almost everything they did was something that they borrowed from. Because they were great. I'll tell you one thing. They had a great strength in observing what worked. And, yeah. Yes. And, and you can tell by it. their uh, their collection of shows after something is introduced, then, you know, for the next 15 years, they're putting out either repackaged versions or future versions or yep. mashups. Well, they were also constantly trying to tap into whatever the zeitgeist was. I mean, if you if you watch something like Catanooga Cats. Oh. Which is like a hippie band in a in a bus traveling <laughs> from place to place, and whatever adventures happen, happen. That was directly like you know what time period it was made because it's a bunch of hippies yeah. in a bus. And and they also were kind of innovators because that's that's a good example. Um, they were also kind of innovators of remembering for mo- when they first got started, Rough and Ready, Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw McGraw, all those shows were were bookended by the main character with two or one or two other cartoons sandwiched in between in the middle. Mm -hmm. And these, they long before, you know, happy days spun off Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy, they spun off Yogi bear, which arguably could be called their most famous creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so as you go on and on, you can look at these books, you look at the shows, a lot of the characters would then spin off into their own shows just because they were they were so huge. It was almost like they were comic book, uh, like they were a comic book publisher in that they created this universe. This universe existed. They created this uh, bullpen of characters that they could bring out and put into any combination, which is why I was, I always loved Laugh Olympics growing up. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, back when I was a kid at the, at Universal Studios in Florida, they had what now is like the Shrek 4D ride. Uh, they had, uh, the fantastic world of Hanna Barbera. And it was basically just a roller coaster with all of their characters. You're yeah. riding with Yogi Bear. King's Island was the same thing. King's Island for a while was a Hanna Barbera, you know, had a lot of Hanna Barbera themed, yeah. themed rides too. Um, it just, you know, and, and when we went through the, uh, Smurf ride, um, I wanted to drown myself. <laughs> my family talked me out of it. Let's talk about the Smurfs because the Smurfs, how is Hanna-Barbera associated with the Smurfs? Because they were Swedish, weren't they? They were uh, Belgian. Yeah. Belgian. Peyo, the guy that created them, Mm -hmm. um, it was actually, I want to say Fred Silverman because Fred Silverman was was very influential, was a big executive at NBC. And one of his kids said, Daddy, you ought to get these these characters and... And 
they they jumped on it. Uh, it t- apparently took them a long time to get the rights for them. Um, I I have to admit that I was never a huge Smurfs fan. It's one of those things where I mean, it had the Hanna Barbera name on it. Mm-hmm. But oh man, I don't. It know doesn't feel like one of theirs. No, it doesn't. It, yeah. it feels like Payo. And and this is the thing to understand about Hanna Barbera. Everybody is the fact that these guys created this studio. They created this process. They created what I understand is a or everything I've read is a great work environment. Very relaxed. Um, I mean, anytime you have a business, you're going to have people who are, you know, unhappy with something. Mark Evanier had some problems with Joe Barbera, but still, you know, is a huge fan of his. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they were project managers, but they got their hands, they always got their hands dirty, even up into their seventies when they were still going into the, the studios every day. You know, they would, they had a lot of hands on work with a lot of these things, but a lot of these projects, you know, it, if you looked at them strictly through the artwork, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of the things were, you know, were not necessarily, you know, Bill and Joe getting in there and drawing cells and, and doing all the other stuff. Right. Um, so it, to me, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't put Smurfs in my top 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's that that uh, horrifying earworm of a song. Yes. Oh, oh I wasn't going to do it, Clint. Oh, listen, I I can't help oh. myself. Uh, uh, and and I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the coolest things about Hanna Barbera, and we can get into that later, is the music for yeah. their for their cartoons were oh, yeah. amazing. Uh, a man named Hoyt Curtin. Who came on? I think Huckleberry Hound was the first show he worked on, mm-hmm. and this is maybe that's kind of a nice underlining for what they did. It was because Hannah and Barbera would say, "Okay, we need the best people to do this. We need the best people to do that. We need the best people to do this," and you know they wouldn't always give the credit to those people. Sure, right? But you know they always picked the best people. But the, yeah, they worked. They worked them and and worked them hard, like. Legendary voice actors like Dawes Butler and oh, Paul Freeze, oh, Don yeah. Messick, yes. uh, Mike Rhodes. Oh, just incredible lineup. Mel Blanc, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. There's a great, well, I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. There's a great story about Mel Blanc when we get to the Flintstones. Remind me. We can, ah. we can talk about it. <laughs> uh, well, should we, should we dive into some of these, uh, some of these choices? Then? Was that all your buckets? Well, no, there's a few more. Oh my God. One is, um, okay. good looking white kids <laughs> on adventures with under, with malnourished dogs. Scooby-Doo okay. sort of fits into this, but not really because Scooby-Doo ate a lot. But there, there are a series of shows. Uh, let me see. Let me find one. The club Just at random. The, uh, well, no, the Impossibles were a band that turned into superheroes. They were them. superheroes. Clue yeah. Club. Clue Club is you two, could count is two bloodhounds. Funky, uh, Funky Phantom. Oh yeah. The funky that, f- that, that was a ghost instead of a, yes. instead of a dog. Uh, Mark, do you know the Funky Phantom? I don't know let the me, Funky Phantom. Is that a dance move? No. Everybody go, first of all, any show you hear us mention, go to YouTube, search for the title, and watch the opening sequence, because the opening sequence tells you what every show is about. Yeah. So this is a group of kids. Did that, that by the way, did that, uh, did that guy write, uh, the, the, the composer you mentioned, did he write all of the theme songs, or was that a separate thing? He wrote a whole ton of the theme songs. They said Hoyt, Hoyt Curtin. Hoyt Curtin. Hoyt Curtin, they would, there were some times where they would call him, and, sa- and, and, and Bill Hanna would write lyrics. 
for a lot of songs. Magilla, Gorilla, and all of his friends say so long, so long, and uh, rough and ready, always tough and steady. I can do them all. That, that sounded like the same song. They just wrote different lyrics for that one. Well, that's, that was my delivery. No, uh, that's fair. There, um, there were times they said where Hoyt Curtin would write a theme song over the phone. So, how about this? You just say it. Yeah, uh, he was amazing. Scooby Dooby Doo, yeah. where are you? <laughs> good, I'm good. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, let me pull All out right, my um, electric bass. Oh, uh, so going the, back to uh, these these the, kids, the Funky Phantom. Oh, the Funky Phantom is about a group of kids who are trying to get out of the rain, so they go to this house and set set a clock to midnight, and then an, a Revolutionary War ghost come, uh, comes out <laughs> with his with his ghost cat, and then they're like, "Hey, we're we're at your service." So now the kids ride around in their buggy. There are a lot of dune buggies. That's a sure, yeah. theme ahead of barbaric kids and dune buggies. And uh, the ghost helps them. He pulls the rug out from under monsters. The cat turns invisible <laughs> and trips animals. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, but there are is a lot it of- always is the villain always a villain plus the villain's animal sidekick. Yeah. Not always. Sometimes well, sometimes there were sometimes it would actually be something weird. I think you could make an argument for. Um, Josie and the Pussycats, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, being along the same kind of lines. Uh, it, on, they did it's a few with bands, I guess. Oh, they Josie did. The, yeah, you could do a, You could do an entire music festival of just bands from uh, Hanna Barbera cartoons. <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats could play. Yeah, uh, the, the Chattanooga Chattanooga Cats, Cats could play. The Impossibles. The Impossibles. Yep, they were. Yeah, um, Bam Bam and Pebbles. <laughs> their <laughs> That's bands. Right. I mean, they all- uh, the, the, the weird Partridge family cartoon that they made. Yep. Uh, 2020. 2020. Yep. No, no, no. 2200, right? Oh, 2200 AD. Yep. Yeah. You're right. 2020 is, uh, just one short year away. I wonder if there'll be a Partridge family next year. But then they and also- I believe that, I believe the Globetrotters had a dog sidekick too. Yes, oh they did. The, and the dog was the dog named Sweet Georgia seats. Brown. <laughs> you know what? The, the dog's name was Please Feed Me. Like all these dogs, when you see these dogs, you just hear Sarah McLaughlin in your head. <laughs> you hear it. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I'm oh, throw it out wow. Thank you. All right. What other categories do we have? Uh, I, those are the main ones, I think. We'll get well, into I think, more I think, adventure. But go ahead. I think you need, ha- yeah, I think they're an action adventure. They, they had yeah. a period where they said to themselves, I don't want to do any more funny animals. Let's do something with humans. This and, is in the mid seventies, yeah. Right, yeah, and and they really started. You know, they they went into a whole thing. Late sixties, they went into a whole thing. They transitioned with like Adamant and Secret Squirrel, which mm-hmm. were funny animals, but Adamant was a superhero, and Secret Squirrel and Morocco Mole were were spies. And then they they kind of went into a whole thing where they did action heroes, um, and that. It was successful for them, um, but it wasn't long before that got squashed too. But we can we can get to that. We get to that. Yes. Um, well, geez, I, there's so much here to discuss, I, and I feel like we're not going to talk about every single cartoon right. on this list. But it sounds like you know phases of the of what they were doing. Like a grand. I didn't realize there was such a grand sweeping arc. Like. You know, Picasso had his blue period and the, and then the Beatles went to India. Like, the, the, there are, there are big shifts. There are sort of seismic shifts like that within. You, you know, the, sh- it's funny. I, like, I look at it and go, well, the stuff in the eighties was more for kids, but that's not true. It was always for kids. Right. But at that time, they were doing more cutesy stuff. So you got like Pac-Man, uh, Trollkins. Yeah. You got and, a- and, and, 
really spin-off tales. adaptations. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Laverne and Shirley uh, had two animated series. One where they were, they were in the army, and then uh, one where they were not. <laughs> there was the Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, and Fawn's Hour. Here's was a, I here's Dream a of Genie. There was there, an I, I Dream yes. of Genie they, show. Why yes. do they not do this now? Why do? Why are there not just animated versions of all of the sitcoms on television? Because uh, watch a Brooklyn Nine Nine cartoon. <laughs> canon man. Too many canon folks. Guys, there was a uh, Gary, yeah. there was a Gary Coleman show. Yeah. Yes. The Gary Coleman show based on the kid with the broken halo. <laughs> the, the Dukes, there was a Dukes of Hazard show. Dukes yep. of Hazard. Funny thing about the Gary Coleman show, they, uh, I was reading in, uh, in Joe, Bur- no, in Bill Hanna's book, it, which is an excellent book, by the way. If you get a chance, it really, if you're an animation fan, it's called a cast of friends. Um, that, that he wrote, but he tells a story about when they did the Gary Coleman show. You, these animators apparently had no life whatsoever, uh, <laughs> outside of everything. They, they said, you need to get down here right now. We got the first test footage of the Gary Coleman show. You got to see there's something terribly wrong. They ran downstairs. They had drawn him as a white kid. Oh no. Oh wow. Now how do you do a Gary Coleman show and not know what Gary Coleman looks like? Yeah. It, it's it's insane. It's a problem. Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that little bone mod out there. No, <laughs> but that's I, I, pretty great. I think their action hero stuff is a definite phase that that really and truly was was done it was hugely successful. I mean, really and truly. I mean, we're talking Space Ghost, um the Herculoids you know, those Luddites in outer space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they were one of the highest rated shows of all time on Saturday mornings, pulling like a 50 share. Wow. A 50 share. Nobody, nobody gets anywhere close to that. And they, they w- had a lot of success with these and people loved them. And then you had act come along. Um, the, uh, Children's Television, the well, Alliance for Children's Television, or whatever, cracked down on Saturday morning cartoons and vitamins, <laughs> children's oh, wow. vitamins, mm-hmm. and and clamored they take a lot of the, a lot of the violence out of out cartoons, of out of the vitamins because some of them had like <laughs> like gashes and scars, <laughs> um, tiny and that really with a switchblade in uh, that was in that was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's please. how you I cut them remember. in half, right? <laughs> yeah. Before um, they cut you in half. And that moved them into a, a whole nother period. And I think each one of those periods had their, had their big moments. The, these guys just wanted to, when they first started out, they just wanted to make people laugh. It was all about the gags, mm-hmm. all about the gags. Um, and so they noticed a weird thing that started with really kind of the, the Huckleberry Hound show. Huckleberry Hound was their their first uh the first TV show to well for one thing it won an Emmy it was the first half hour cartoon show made exclusively for TV. Uh Rough oh. and Ready had been cartoons but Huckleberry Hound was the first one made exclusively for television. Hmm. And it was a huge success. Not only did it win an Emmy award but it became like this cultural phenomenon. I remember reading this one story about this bar in San Francisco that was mostly college kids um but which, you know, now all bars are, but this, this bar would ring a bell at five minutes till six. And at six o'clock, they turn the television behind the bar on to the Huckleberry Hound show. And they had a big sign that said, you know, guests will please refrain from tinkling of ice 
during the Huckleberry Hound show. <laughs> Man. And when, when they started getting research, they found out that 40% of the people that were watching were adults. Which really... I should hope so. Wait, only 40% of the people in that bar were adults? No, watching the show all over gotcha. all. No, there were some 10-year-olds that were, you know, nursing their drinks. Six uh, out of 10 in this bar. Sitting in the back, you know, with their Shirley Temples. Yeah. No, 40% of the audience was, was adults that were tuning in for the show, which led them directly to developing the Flintstones. Wow. And that sort of changed the game as a, pr- as a prime time, like fully prime time animated series now do you want to tell your mel blank story now we're at the flintstones well flintstones for those of you who don't know went through a lot of iterations they knew they wanted to do a takeoff of the honeymooners no no doubt about it they wanted to use Mm -hmm. the honeymooners as their template for doing this and they went through all these different variations with and by this time they had like 250 people working for them in hanna-barbera studios because uh, they've been very successful, Rough and Ready, Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw McGraw. And so when they were developing the Flintstones, this was going to be the first primetime animated series on TV. Um, they went and got deals. Uh, you can probably find some of the commercials online of Fred and Wilma smoking cigarettes. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> those are those are a fun uh, YouTube dive. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so they, they developed the Flintstones. They tried all these different iterations. They went to Roman times and they went to uh, oh, yeah. Holy, pilgrims and, and the knights in armor and nothing really clicked. And football players, too. Football players it ended up being, which they ended up developing into a series later on. Yeah. Um, but they had one artist. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm blanking out. And um. Oh, Dan Gordon was his name. He drew a sketch because they were taking ideas from everybody. He drew a sketch of two cavemen standing next to a record player, Stone Age record player, with the bird with the sharp beak, and his beak was the needle on the phonograph player, and that sketch inspired them to do the Flintstones, which were originally the Gladstones. And then the flagstones, mm-hmm. um, when they got sued over that, um, they couldn't use the flagstones because of a comic strip called High and Lois, where the characters were named Flagston. Yes, uh, yes. So they created the Flintstones and Alan Reed, um, uh, uh, Joan Van Pyle, B. Benaderet, and Mel Blanc was the voice of, of Barney Rubble. And Mel Blanc was in a terrible car accident. I mean, that he was not supposed to, this was, I, th- I think in the, still in the first season, maybe into the second season, terrible car accident that he, they didn't think he was going to live. Um, so they had somebody come in and, and do, um, a, a fill in voice for like three or four episodes. And then he insisted that they rig up microphones. This guy's in a, he survived. He's in a, like a body cast in a hospital bed in his home. And insisted they bring microphones Jeez. down, and he he would do Mel, Barney's take a voice break. from a hospital bed. Oh. Uh, it's show business, baby. Uh, Jeez, no kidding. <laughs> and 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 the Flintstones was hated by the critics. They mm. ravaged them because no one would believe that there was a live studio audience there, and they had a laugh track for God's sake. And yet the viewers absolutely loved them. Did yeah. Loved the Flintstones. It was a huge success for them. Sure. Then, and every, and they are still making all the way up through, uh, cave kids in 96. Oh, yeah. 
they were creating new uh new well 94 a live action movie yeah yeah i I mean i think there were two or three there were uh, Uh, there were at least two because the second one was viva rock vegas that's right was that with Moranis, or was he in the first one? No, uh, the first Moranis one was, was the uh, Goodman one. and Moranis, and the, the second one was was, was um, um, not Mark, Mark Addy. Addy, Mark Addy, and um, and Stephen Baldwin. Oh, okay. that's right, Stephen Baldwin <laughs> and, and Jane Kaczmarek, I think played uh, um, Betty. Oh my god! And I mean, Halle that's Berry? a pretty great cast. Was Halle Berry in the first one? In the first one, Halle yeah. Berry was in the first. She was Kyle MacLachlan's secretary. Oh my gosh! By the way, he's got he's got like the perfect because he's Kyle MacLachlan. Oh yeah, like he's got the perfect oh, Flintstones name. There you go. No rock. What was your, what was your Flintstones names be? Uh wow. You be Clint McElrock, right? Yeah, that was or Flint McElrock. Flint McElrock. Flint McElrock. McElrock. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Which be- is not as good as as Anne Margarock. Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. Geez. And Rock on Rock. <laughs> they just couldn't leave well enough alone. <laughs> they couldn't. I think what we should do is maybe each. Come up with just because there are so many. Each come up with our with a top three. Top three. Wow, I think. And then okay. we can go from there. I think we may have some crossover, but sort of each nominate three finalists, mm-hmm. and then. Well, wait. Then a minute. Let, let me ask you down. this. Yeah. Can what criterion criteria do you want to use? That's a good good question. I yeah. think because um, it can't because look, this show is objective answers to subjective questions. Yes. Al. we can't just go with our opinions. I agree. I think we're I think we're looking for things that are long lasting. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think that's yeah the ones that that we've already been talking about as that became tent poles of Hanna Barbera. We've already mentioned okay. a few of them. So influence, uh, ga- game influence. changers, yeah, influence, yeah, okay. yeah, cultural impact for sure. Right. Game changers, cultural impact, okay. Uh, quality. I think just the quality of the show. Okay. All right. Because because right. they are right. of varying degrees of quality. Yeah, it, it, they're never going to get accused. Hanna Barbera would never get accused of being fine art. I mean, of right. being. I mean, because because that was not their strength. Their strength was this planned animation that they they used uh, with mm-hmm. fewer frames and, like I said, overlaying the the mouth. But if you're talking quality overall that meant they had to have right. better writing they had to have they had to have the gags were funnier the the yeah. actual camera work had that's to be more of sharper. what i was that's more of what i meant not yeah. to, not necessarily the animation itself but right like, yeah specifically the writing the characters the i like that you mentioned the camera work because that makes scooby-doo jump into my mind immediately because the camera work in scooby-doo was always like they were making a funny action show Exactly. And yeah. So they, they needed cool camera work and chase scenes and all of the the tropes that you think of being part of Scooby Doo. They needed that. And some of the some of the shortcuts they had to use ended up benefiting them on on things like that. You know, <laughs> the, like the run back this, and forth. Yeah, the run back and forth. The come to a sliding stop. Mm-hmm. You know that instead of showing somebody's legs animated moving, no, that you come to a sliding stop. The uh, oh, the the crossover is one of my favorites, and they all do this where they you, somebody's running from the left to the right, and then you make them a little closer, and they run from the right to the left. Oh yeah, you know planes flying. You never see them turn around. And then the bad guys are chasing the good guys, and then the good guys are chasing the That's bad guys for bad one guys. brief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I there, do love all those tropes. There are a lot of, I mean, quality-wise, 
<laughs> there are that, that helps you eliminate a lot of shows because it's like the bad guy is over there in the cave. Yeah, and then the yeah, bad it's got to be yeah. you. You have to you have to know it's it's like any good um you know piece of fiction. You sure. want you want to know which character says it by just reading the line. Yeah, well, there's also a lot of spelling out like. They're taking our prisoner. Like, there's a lot of stuff like that (laughs) happening. Hey, that was really good. Thank you. Thank you. How Loveland for Serpent Man number one. Um, (laughs) That was, 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 of course, we all remember from Herculoid, the the snake riders that appeared in town one time and stole the one woman that was part of the Herculoids (laughs) and took her prisoner Uh, as she was picking berries. It's important to note here, as I mentioned that. Yeah. That you have to take a lot of these in the context Different of the time. time that they were made. <laughs> there is a clip of of Adamant meeting Karate Ant, which mm-hmm. is a, a horrific chop suey uh, characterization of of a uh, an Asian person. But the same company also came out with uh, the Adventures of Charlie Chan and the Chan Clan, which felt less felt to me, and it's not my it's not my call to make as a as a uh, white dude. But it felt to me more like representation because everybody – they didn't have the same sort of like ac- like uh, racist accents. Mm-hmm. And it was more like, hey, these are all capable people. Uh, they are a family and they are solving mysteries together. So that way, hopefully, that's something that would inspire uh, somebody like a younger Asian-American or Asian kid to feel like, oh, I'm seeing people like me on television. That's a good thing. Right. Okay. All right, I've got three. Okay. Um, do you want to? Do you want to? I'll tell you what. I want to make people wait. We're going to take a quick oh, commercial ooh, break here. Okay. So commercial break. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's, wow. Everybody's going to hear. Look, we are three uh, cogs in the Max Fun machine, and we want you. Somebody's got to grease those wheels. We've got to grease those wheels. <laughs> we'll be right back. What is up, people of the world? Hello, hello. Guess what? It is our favorite time of the year. Guess what time it is? Hal, do you know what time it is? Of course I know what time it is. It's Max Fun Drive, Mark, you goof. Yeah, it is. Here's how this works. For those of you who've listened to our show for a long time, you know that the Maximum Fun Network is a great big community, and we want to grow that community. So once a year, we have the Max Fun Drive, which is our pledging campaign once a year to get new membership into the Max Fun family. We put out some of our best shows of the year. We give great thank you gifts, which uh, Hal will talk about later. Let's not put the cart before the horse on the gifts. Yes. It's really, this is mostly about celebrating Maximum Fun and the shows that you love on the Max Fun Network. This time, the Max Fun Drive, this time of year is the best time to sign up as a member. Or if you're already a member, hey, why not uh, upgrade your membership? Absolutely. This is the time of year that like Mark and I talk about before it's happened. Like, what are we going to do this year? We're so excited. Who can we get ahead of time? You know, we want to roll out some extra special guests, maybe some really cool topics like the one you're listening to right now. And we're so excited and privileged to be able to bring it to you. But it's your support that helps the show keep going. So one of the reasons to support Maximum Fun and our show specifically is because you love the show, but there's also a, a good feeling you have, this feeling of pride and ownership when you're contributing directly to the people who make something that you love. That's right. And we're trying to get more people involved in this family. We want more people to know about the shows that we love on the network. And we hope you love our show. And, and when we'll bring more people to our show. This year, we're trying to get 
dig this, Hal, 25,000 new and upgrading members. Wow. 25,000. That is, that is huge. A, that's a big tent. And it's a big, inclusive, awesome, friendly tent at MaxFun. Hal, you and I talk about this all the time. Yes. That that is one of the absolute joys, specifically of our show, is that in a world rife with people arguing for real, it is really fun to go somewhere and argue for fake. Absolutely. Absolutely. But here is how you can get involved. If you're new to the show, if you started listening the last few months and you're not familiar with Maximum Fun Drive, but you do want to support the show, it's very, very easy to do. The way it works is it's a recurring monthly contribution on your behalf. So you go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. It's .org, not .com. Take that .com, throw it away. Yeah. I told you that on other We're an shows. organization, not a company. Yeah, we're an organized group of people. Mark, you're very organized. Yeah, I'm super organized. Like more organized. I know if you listen to the show, you think Mark is not organized at all. You probably <laughs> think he is barely like every day he wakes up, navigates what must be a maze of newspaper piles and cat skeletons <laughs> to get to the bathroom. Cat skeletons. Which is also the dining room and the living room and then goes out. But it's not true. He is a, a handyman. He keeps a very clean and organized apartment, and that is why we will only be associated with .org podcast networks like yeah. this one. Yeah. You go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. As I was saying, we never uh, get into tangents, though. Um, and, Not at all. Uh, you go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. You choose the membership level that's right for you. If $5 is good, if you want to forego a cup of coffee every month and do $5, that's great. Also, you're paying too much for coffee. Yeah, exactly. Well – Starbucks, you, I don't even know if you can get a whole coffee for $5. That's my, that's my new stand-up bit about how expensive coffee is. <laughs> but you get to choose what's comfortable for you. $5, $10, $20, $35. It goes up and up and up. And hey, if you're somebody who was at the $5 level, but you're doing better this year and you want to upgrade. Congratulations. Great. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. You choose the level that is right for you. You provide your credit card information, some basic info so that they know it's you. It is all very secure and it sets up a recurring monthly donation. You set it and forget it. But the most important part of this is you are asked what max fun shows you listen to. And the shows that you check off on that page are the ones that benefit directly from your contribution. So you That's have to right. make sure you check us off. And we really do, in all honesty, benefit from your contributions. This, uh, the contributions from the Max Fund Drive are, in all seriousness, what keep this show going. We travel a lot. We need gear. You know, to create a show, there's things that you need. And we'd like to thank the people of the world, this community, capital P-O-T-W, people of the world, and yes. this community for giving us the opportunity to do this. Absolutely. So we told you about it. There are some incredible gifts that we're going to tell you about later on in the show. But if you're already excited and you want to do it right now, pause this and go to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. Do it now while you're thinking about it. And you don't have to do it again unless you upgrade next year. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I have a terrible habit, Hal, of thinking I'm going to do this thing in the moment and really earnestly thinking I'm going to do it and then mm -hmm. completely forgetting about it. You know this from text messages and emails. Don't be like me, don't everybody. Don't be like Mark. No, don't be like me. Do it now while you're thinking about it. And then yes. Hal won't be mad at you later. And I also want to point out, if you're someone listening right now and you're you're thinking, hey, I don't have the money to become a member right now, don't feel bad. Number one, we appreciate you listening and just participating in the community. Absolutely. But number two, 
you can share the Maximum Fun Drive with other people. Maybe you have a friend who likes the show and is thinking about becoming a member. You can encourage them to do that. Help us spread the word on social media. Tell your friends. Spread the word about the show. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who supports us on a monthly basis right now. We wouldn't be here doing what we do without you. And we're so excited for what the next year is going to bring. We're going to have all sorts of fun stretch goals over the next two weeks for you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We will get to uh, talking about some pledge gifts in just a little while. But in the meantime, let's get back to the episode. Bye. All right, Clint, I've made Mm -hmm. everybody wait long enough. You want to give us one of your finalists? Yes, I will give you one of my finalists. Um, I I think uh, it, it. No, I'll I'll go with um, Johnny Quest. Johnny, Johnny Quest? Quest in the adventure. Uh, the adventures the adventure, of Johnny the, Quest. The adventure bucket. Originally the the saga of Chip Baloo. Believe it or not, yeah. what uh, um, what puts Johnny Quest on your list? All right, for one thing, I I'm. It's really hard for me to divorce my personal bias from this. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I think everybody should think like me, I got no, no problem with, with throwing this out there. Johnny quest came out in 1964. It was really the last, um, of the prime time projects that, that Hanna Barbera did. It was about this, um, 10 year old boy and his, uh, his dad, who was the super scientist, Dr. Benton quest and their government assigned bodyguard, race Bannon, and his pal, Haji. And it was, when I was 10 years old, I was all about Tom Swift Jr. And I was all about high tech. And I was this big, huge spy fan. Mm-hmm. And when Johnny Quest came along, it was like nothing else on, on TV. Um, Hanna-Barbera realized they could do things with animation that you just couldn't do with the special effects of the times when it came to live action or anything else. They went to a guy named Doug Wildey, who is a great comic book artist who had worked for just about everybody and said, can you come up with this idea? Originally based on, they wanted to remake the, the radio series, Jack Armstrong, Jack Armstrong, the all American boy. And so, and Jack Armstrong was an old radio show that was just adventures all over. And and he went, and that's what Johnny Quest did. His dad would be called on these missions and he went all over the world. Um, Wildy was a beautiful animator. A matter of fact, he said the biggest problem he had on this show was the fact that the Hanna-Barbera guys could draw funny animals till the day, you know, till the, you know, the cows come home. But really had trouble animating real uh, human figures. And they are full of action. Um, they are full of these high tech devices and vehicles. Um, and it, and it didn't back away from, uh, I mean, there was it, some of the episodes were honest to God, absolutely terrifying. Um, and for me, Oh, that was, that was the best. Um, and they would, they would run up against, you know, invisible monsters, which was one of my favorite episodes and werewolves and, and, uh, yetis. And 
they almost pulled the old uh the old trope of it being oh it was just somebody in a yeti costume and then at the very end of the show all the bad guys in yeti costumes who were really these terrorists were wiped out and by a yeti by a yeti oh <laughs> turn about <laughs> look at that i was waiting for them to take their yeti masks off be terrorists and then take their terrorist masks off and be yetis again. <laughs> oh, I mean, that almost would work. Yeah. But like they went all over, they were globe trotting adventurers. Yeah. And, and, it, you know, and that was, and, you know, you got to see things nowadays, you know, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, commonplace. That's, that's not such a big deal. But back then, you know, they'd go to India and they would, you know, go to the Antarctic. And the first episode was in the middle of the Sargasso Sea and, it was a real attempt to to do real action, uh, and it was the inspiration. Both Hannah and Barbara say that it inspired them to to create, to go on and create their more realistic stuff. This was like the beginning of their human period, where they, you know, went into you know, Space Ghost and you know mm-hmm. Herculoids and Shazam and. They're Fantastic Four and, and Johnny Quest was just a huge game changer. It, it just proved to be too expensive to do. Um, you know, they did one season of it, 26 episodes mm-hmm. and they brought it back three or four different times mm-hmm. and it's, and it's never gone out of syndication. It's, it's never not been shown on a network. It inspired comic books and books. Some of, you know, some of the greatest. Well, Steve Rude is a huge, you know, Johnny Quest fan and, and on and on and on. And to me, it was, it was the most original, boldest concept they, they ever had. And I, I, and I'm really, it's very difficult for me to divorce my personal feelings about it because I identified with it so much. Um, but it was, it was just a, a great, a, a great series. Well, and that would be my first nominee. Mark and I definitely owe it a debt because uh, without Johnny Quest, that forms right. the backbone of the Venture Brothers. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Which has right. gainfully employed us for, I, for several I years. I just in this moment made the connection between Quest and Venture <laughs> and the actual names. Well, the funny thing is is that Dr. Venture is mm-hmm. the Johnny Quest of that show. He's right. just grown right. up. Yeah. His father was the great adventurer. Of course. He was, the kid, he was like the famous kid. Uh, he was this famous kid who had all the adventures, and then he grew up to be a bitter oh. old man. God, so bad. but I always thought that that, and one of the things I loved about the Venture Brothers was I knew it was a pastiche of Johnny Quest, but you could watch it as an adventure. <laughs> yeah, there's still legit amazing adventure yeah. stories. Yeah, and uh, great looking tech. And know? this, so this yeah. was I didn't really think about this before you you mentioned it that. Uh, this was a big shift for them. We talked about those seismic shifts. Johnny Quest being um, the drawing actual, you know, characters that look like real humans. Um, because you don't think you don't look at Yogi Bear and go, that is a photorealistic bear. Or look at Fred Flintstone <laughs> no. and go, that man uh, might have a disease <laughs> with the way that his body is shaped. They had no necks back then. Yeah, no kidding. That's why. No necks and they fortunes. Uh, kids. And the greatest theme song ever. Yeah. The greatest, and I mean of any theme song. It, the please, Flintstones? folks, the Flintstones is second. Johnny Quest theme song is the greatest ah. theme song of anything ever wow. written. Uh, and, and they came out, I think it was about two years ago, came out with a box set of all the, all of the cuts 
and and all of the takes and and the Johnny Quest theme song. The great story about that is that that they were given Hoyt Curtin. They they had like six. They had it was almost an all brass ensemble mm-hmm. with trumpets, trombones, and like four percussionists. Right. And a, and a guitar and a bass. Sure. It's and, like a marching band with a guitar and a bass added. Yeah. And they, and, and the, the guys in the trombone section were giving him a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. You write, you, nobody can write tough trombone music. So if you listen to the first, like, I think it's about the fifth or sixth bar of the Johnny Quest theme, there's this section where the trombone guys cannot do it. Can't play it. And they left it in. Oh, wow. Um, but it's the theme song, the voice work. Um, Tim Matheson was the voice of Johnny Quest. Um, oh, look at that. Otter. Grew Otter did the voice. Animal House. Yeah. And he had a, he had, there was a book, the uh, interview book with him called Johnny Sinbad Jr. and Me. And he <laughs> talked about, he was 16 years old and was going into the studio with Mike Rhodes and, mm. and uh, Danny Bravo, who played Haji. And this was really the first time that Hanna-Barbera didn't hire voice actors like Don Messick. Although Don Messick was um, eventually Dr. Quest and Bandit, mm-hmm. <laughs> the dog who I hated. Um, wow. But they were actual actors. Mike Rode, who played Ray Spannon, looked like, you know, Ray Spannon. He was a big tough guy from the Western. So that was a bit of a change for them as well, not to just go with just voice guys. Right. Yeah. Because that is, that is a, did they also shoot the, uh, the recording sessions? Cause I know Disney, they would bring in people and, you know, oh, I don't know. Look at it like basically, uh, mental mocap back in the day. Well, they would, they would rotoscope too. Yeah. Disney did that a lot. Mm-hmm. There was some rotoscoping. They, they did, used what, um, um, oh, I want to say xerography, but that wasn't necessarily in the Johnny Quest period. Um, was a lot of the bands they did that like they their hand there it was too realistic and too smooth not to be rotoscoping yeah yeah when they're playing the tambourine or or working the neck of a guitar you don't actually know, making chord shapes you oh know, I maybe know. there was one animator there who was like look I know we're only animating at six frames a second <laughs> but I can make a tambourine look like a tambourine <laughs> I'm guessing that you, the reason you wanted to talk about uh Hanna-Barbera cartoons the, we are on separate ends of the country right now I assume you are surrounded by this box set and an, an entire room of Johnny Quest stuff I have wow. a box set I actually I, I should have turned the camera on I have a model of the dragonfly oh wow uh, which is the uh the the their their plane their rocket plane that they use I uh even as we speak, I have a bid on for an original cell. Oh, hey, look at that. But All listen, right. I'm, but I understand the function of this program. Right. And I understand. I, I am open. I am open minded. Uh, and I have a couple of other suggestions that, but I'm going to wait. All right. All right. Um, but, but f- to me, it was, it's a very, Important show. That's a great nomination. Mark, what do you have? Um, I'm going to jump forward, uh, five years, uh, to a show that I think is a perfect combination of the adventure spirit and realistic animation of, uh, of Johnny Quest mixed with the comedy of, uh, of their, uh, former glory days of, uh, talking dogs, uh, doing antics. And I'm going to go with Scooby Doo, where are you? Uh, is sure. my first, uh, I mean, you, you can't, uh, deny the impact that Scooby Doo has had 
on the culture. Maybe for me, this one's personal because I spent so long working at Universal Studios and backstage there was always a mystery machine parked and Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and Daphne walking around. I thought you were going to say well, backstage Scooby-Doo would come visit yeah. and tell us stories about what it was like yeah. when he was shooting that TV <laughs> show. I was making TV. Yeah. <laughs> it was very rude, too. <laughs> we were pioneers. Go <laughs> well, get me a rate. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a real jerk about his coffee. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was the one that I was obsessed with as a kid. Uh, it's the, it's, yeah, it, it, for all of the things that we've mentioned before, the, the camera work, the, the characters being so well drawn, great so well song. drawn, that great, great theme song. Um, so well drawn that in their future iterations of them, they've been, those characters have been crafted by so many different writers, so many different actors. And will always be those characters. There will always be somebody embodying them. Uh, and that to me is exciting. A character that lives outside of its original version. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and look, and not only that, but it basically was the foundation for a whole nother animation company because Joe Ruby and Ken Spears created Scooby Doo for. For Hanna Barbera, and they yeah. went off and formed Ruby Spears, you know, animation, yeah. based on the strength of what they accomplished with with Scooby Doo. Um, and man, look at all the spinoffs it's had. Oh yeah, uh, there are at least uh, there's a dozen going. pages of these. There are at least two full pages of spinoffs of Scooby Doo. One point uh, against Scooby Doo though, 1979. Um, we have to ding it a little for the invention of Scrappy Doo. Scrappy Doo. Yeah. Oh God. Scrappy Doo. Uh, Come on, Uncle. Yeah. He's got puppy power. Sure. He has puppy power. Uh, that was, that's, uh, that's, un- that's unrestrained Hanna Barbera. Uh, nice that's, try, that's, Joe and Bill. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's the factory, uh, <laughs> getting too big and churning out too much. And, uh, and every once in a while, you know, you, you create a product that every factory creates a product that has to, that needs a recall. I, I want to be at the meeting where they go, you know, Scooby Doo needs something for little kids. <laughs> <laughs> This is much too sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, we need somebody that they can relate to. Um, the talking dog is too high concept for him. Give right. him a smaller one. Hal, what do you got? I have one. Uh, I just think it, it's very exciting uh, in my childhood to see Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman all together mm-hmm. on the screen. I'm going to go with uh, Super Friends. Spoken like a true comic book gentleman. Yeah, and of course the original the original sidekicks were Marvin and Wendy, who had absolutely no superpowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and was it Wonder Dog? Was that their dog? Yes. And then later on, you got Jan and Zana, the the uh, Wonder Twins, who could turn into things. Wonder Twin powers activate. Activate. Came in what? That was like a. Uh, which year? I'm trying to. I've got. So I think many that was Challenge of the Super Friends. Challenge of the, the late seventies. Lots and lots of. But super the original, friends. you had Marvin and Wendy. Who had no powers but still wore outfits. Mm-hmm. Or Marvin did. Marvin wore a cape. Uh, <laughs> Poor Marvin. I just No loved- superpowers, but... And he loved cape. Superman. He was yeah. you know, supposedly, supposedly like Superman's apprentice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I don't know why Superman would string along a teenager like that, but yeah. beyond to me... To let him help. I just yeah, think... It'd have, <laughs> it'd have to be on the DC Universe channel now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Take that, uh, DC. <laughs> I just think it was a sort of a landmark piece for for comic books into animation mm-hmm. in a way that the Fantastic Four series wasn't, poss- possibly uh, because of or in spite of its inclusion of Herbie 
instead of uh, the Human Torch was the one that was left out of the Fantastic Four cartoon. If Herbie I'm not the Love Bug? No, Herbie the Robot. It's- H-E-H.E.R.B.I.E. Yeah. And oh. I don't remember what it stands for, which, you know, that was a beautiful series, but oh, God. But yeah, we we wanted the we wanted Johnny Storm. Yeah. We didn't want nobody asked for Herbie. Nobody asked for that. But I I liked for it. me. Super Friends really kicked in with the challenge of the Super Friends. I mean, yeah, that, sure. you know, because in that first season, it was almost always aliens or you know scientists that were not bad guys, just misled. Yes, um, and and so you know, it, it and I was I was such. A huge comic book nerd, um, and I said, "Oh God!" And I, but when it kicked, kicked in with challenge of the of the Super Friends, and they they added the Legion of Doom, and yeah, there's Sinestro, and there's you know Solomon Grundy, and it, it really took on more of a a a, a comic book feel to mm-hmm. me, a superhero feel to me. Once they got deeper into the uh, into the collection of villains that they could pull from i do like that they uh that they would you know pit it's it's always fun to see villains get paired together like the superheroes getting paired together feels like a thing that i understand because justice league and super friends and you know the avengers and all this but the villains all teaming up is uh is a fun thing as well for it the legion of doom yeah the legion of doom uh that to me is uh is a a great thing that this offered that other like I don't think about with other superhero team ups is and of course really, super villain they, team up. They yeah. really tried hard for diversity. Eventually, I think they realized that you know it, it looked like you know the, the country club in the sixties and you know <laughs> right in the deep south. And they added Apache Chief, mm-hmm. uh, Black Vulcan, yes, mm-hmm. El Dorado, and Samurai. Um, and which all voiced by Mel Blanc, probably. (laughs) Uh, and then, you know, later on, they added other characters. They've got into a whole, you know, dark side apocalypse and, and dark side Mm -hmm. and Desaad and the, the whole, the whole thing. By that time, they had kind of moved away from, uh, you know, the aliens and the science, bad scientists of the week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, they had, they had really good voice work. I mean, you talk about people like Ted Knight. Um, oh, Ted Knight. Casey Alan Kasem? Soul. Mm-hmm. Casey, Casey Kasem. Casey. Coming to you live as Robin. And also <laughs> as Shaggy. Shaggy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Casey showed up all over the place. He was on Josie and the Pussycats. And uh, he was always... Because he was just in front of his feet on the ground. And- <laughs> That's right. Always reaching. Couldn't get step. away from him. Um all right. Uh, so what's uh, what's next on your uh, on your list? We've gotten some. We've gotten three. We've got three good contenders going in. Super Friends. Uh, uh, we've got uh, Scooby Doo. Where are you? And Johnny Quest. What else? Uh, what else should be on there, Clint? I guys, I think the Flintstones have to be on that list. Yeah, of course, the Flintstones because it was so important. Um, it, while we mentioned before, Hannah and Barbara were great at spotting trends before they happened that's that's one of the most important attributes you can have in in anything in life and i mean for instance when they when they launched rough and ready which was the their first real tv production very few people had color tvs 
and take it from a guy who was actually alive back in those halcyon days. <laughs> there was no assertion that everybody was going to go color. Um, it, it, believe it or not, I mean, there was some folks who said, oh, you know, sound in movies, ha, that'll never last. Um, oh, man, that's the most overused trope in the uh, Cares yeah. of Progress. That'll so, never yeah. last. <laughs> <laughs> the world like, of tomorrow. Yeah. History documentaries, they love using that whole, it'll never last <laughs> trope. And I was like, oh, I get it's cute. But they made, they, they made the decision to make all their cartoons in color, even though there were very few color sets out yeah. there at that time. And I think they, they saw these trends and it took a lot of guts and a lot of salesmanship to pitch a half hour animated primetime TV series. Um, and, and to make it about, I, I once read that the transition for them from theater movies. Remember, folks, cartoons used to be part of your evening out at the movie theaters. Right. But this um, is when theaters used to just run everything continuous, right? It would just right. be, there was always I, a real playing. You could walk in and out. You'd want to stay yeah. for the whole feature. And it would run right into there would be cartoons before the movie and maybe newsreels and stuff like that. And I'm really sounding like an old fart, but I can't help it because I am. This I love uh, this stuff. Please. But the, these cartoons would would be little works of art, you know, and it, and it wasn't really until Pixar started bringing it back, mm -hmm. you know, that that anybody really, you know, did that. And all well, DreamWorks did some to to some extent, but it used to be you'd go and there would be a totally unrelated cartoon. Um, and that's where you saw cartoons and they were beautifully drawn, wonderfully written, but they were basically uh, sight gags for the most part. And right. Tom and Jerry was a huge success for them. They, they won Oscars. They won an Oscar for their first Tom and Jerry feature. They, you know, and so they recognized that when they went to TV, they had to move away from slapstick so much into you still some physical gags right but you know sophisticated not sophisticated i mean <laughs> sure. yabba dabba do yabba dabba do is not sophisticated living. no uh, but they knew they were going to have to make it more you know dialogue driven and, and mm. character driven and the flintstones yeah maybe it was a takeoff on on the honeymooners but it it took on a life of its own lord it ran a lot right. longer than the honeymooners ever did um and I think it was just so brave and so important, and it showed, hey, you can run primetime cartoons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, let's face it. The Simpsons owe a lot to the Flintstones because yeah. that, you know, that, that set the trend. Somebody would have done it before then, I'm sure, but – you know, it, it was kind of a, kind of a revolution. It was kind of a, a watermark. And, and then again, the Simpsons did the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, animation in prime time, you know, became huge again. Yeah. Um, but the Flintstones really and truly, I think it, it, we owe a huge debt to them for that. Well, it's like they, they domesticated the cartoon, not only in that they brought it into people's homes, but they domesticated it in the national sense of like they made it. American because, you know, they're writing for, they're not writing like a cartoon was, uh, to be, you know, for an international film audience, you know, where it's mostly sight gags and no, no dialogue like the Tom and Jerry cartoons with yeah, right. classical music playing while, uh, characters, uh, did antics that anyone from around the world could see. This was fast, loose, disposable American, uh, jokes. Yeah. Situational comedy. Yeah. 
Folks, we're back. And we, as promised, are going to tell you all about our pledge gifts. Yes, we are. I didn't mean to say that kind of Oprah style, but I realized that it's as we are giving away gifts to an audience, you can't help but do this. You can't help it because if we had a bunch of people here who were new <laughs> or upgrading members, we'd be like, you get a pledge gift. You get a pledge gift. Everybody gets a pledge gift. Wait, what is a pledge gift, Hal? What pledge gifts can we get this year? I'll tell you. This is at the $5 level. $5 mm-hmm. monthly membership gets you access to exclusive bonus content. This is not just our bonus content, but over 100 hours of bonus episodes. Yeah. From every show on the Maximum Fun Network. That's right. I, I, can I say what ours is? Uh, are we allowed? To, are we allowed to say? We're allowed to say it's already out there because people who were previous members they already have access to it. Oh, so if you're a member, uh, just a monthly member, you will have access to this. People are already listening to it. Well, tell them th- so that they don't miss it. Do they have to get to it now? People have already listened to it. I don't 100 percent know if you know this, Mark, but I'm going to say what it is. I know what it is. Well, it's it's a special sort of after show. Of, you didn't, we you don't think that I, you didn't think that I knew what no, this was? I did, but the part that you don't know is that it's two and a half hours long. <laughs> you know, you know what? That's the part I guessed. <laughs> because it's our producer, Ken Plume, who is a podcaster in his own right, along with, uh, I guess we could say we got this super fan, but certainly somebody who listens to every episode. And a dear friend of ours. A dear friend. And, and an incredibly talented artist. Yes, Doc Hammer. From the Venture Brothers, a a multiple-time guest on our show, is the two of them, the goal was we're going to, in about an hour, we're going to do a review, a comprehensive review of all the decisions that the boys have made. In two and a half hours, can you guess how many episodes they got through? I'm guessing they got through 20. 25. 25. Hey, congratulations, Ken and Doc. You got through 25 episodes. That is pretty cool to have uh, one half of the creative team behind the Venture Brothers and our producer, two people who know the show intimately, going uh, off the rails discussing a show that goes off the rails. I mean – it makes me very happy. The only way you can hear it is at that $5 level. And we're going to jump up a few levels, but but know this. Whatever level you move up to, you get all of the gifts that appear in previous levels. And no matter what level you pledge at, we thank you. Yes, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is the $10 monthly membership. I love this. Uh, oh, every yeah. year that the, it's a, it's an enamel pin. This year the enamel pins are designed by Megan Lynn Cott, but this is the first time that and certainly that we've been a part of it that we've been able to have input into what the the pins are yeah so we always so of we course like the we pins. picked yes <laughs> yeah we've always loved the pins <laughs> but for this to be the first one that we got to have any input on of course we wanted to do a wrench fight pin yes yes you people love wrench fight this is from our first episode with Paul F Tompkins the calling versus texting uh the where we talked about the ancient Philadelphia tradition of wrench fighting you get this really cool enamel wrench fight pin that is at the $10 level you're already getting the bonus content and by the way if you got the pin last year and you want this year's pin, you're going to have to upgrade your membership to get there. Just so you know, that is an upgrade gift uh, only. But you will, of course, you already have the bonus content. Uh, but let's go up to to that $20 level. Ooh, at the $20 level, you will receive an 18 by 24 inch, 550 piece, beautiful maximum fun puzzle. That's right. All you puzzle folks out there. And you know what? You know what is a great thing to do while you're listening to a podcast? What's that? A puzzle. 
a puzzle specifically designed by Jeffrey Tice for Max Fun monthly members. The only way to get this beautiful puzzle is if you are a member of the Maximum Fun family. Yes, and you when you once you complete it, you will see what it looks like when you look out the window at Max Fun HQ. That is what it is uh, art of. It's very cool. It's at sunset. You see the Max Fun rocket in the background. And speaking of the Max Fun rocket, Mark, you know what you get at $35 per month? I bet you're going to tell me. You know, there if if there are two things that Mark loves. It's podcasting and drinking. And every year yeah. there's a drinking vessel with that Max Fun rocket on it. And this year it is a glass coffee mug that is engraved with the rocket logo. And I've said this before. I don't like mugs in general because you can't really see what's in them. But the glass mug, perfect. <laughs> I want to know what's true. I don't know if somebody's trying to poison me up in here. It's a good point. I don't know. You're making a great point. Exactly. So look, whether you join at the $5 a month level and hear our exclusive bonus content from our wonderful producer, Ken Plume, and the fantastic Doc Hammer, or all the way up to the $35 a month level where you can get the glass Irish coffee mug, please think about joining the Maximum Fun family. And we thank you to those who are already members, and we welcome with open arms those who are coming into the fold now that's right and we thank you thank you thank you here's what you do there are actually higher levels even than 35 but rather than get into all that here's what you can do you can see them when you go to maximumfun.org forward slash donate here's how you get involved you go to that website maximumfun.org forward slash donate you fill out your information you give it the credit card information a little bit of personal information including you know what to do if if, if you've been (laughs) if you're listening to a podcast you know how to use the internet and have probably put a credit card in it before exactly but the thing you may not do everywhere you go is Mm -hmm. tell the website that you're visiting which podcasts you listen to and this is the crucial part for us Mm -hmm. when you are filling out that information check the box for we got this with mark and hal because that is how our show benefits directly from the monthly contribution that you set up. If you do not check the box for us, we won't get it. And hey, thank you for backing the network if that's what you're choosing to do. But if you want our show to benefit directly, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure you do, be sure to check the box for We Got This with Mark and Hal. And it is yes. so exciting. So many gifts. Get it's amazing how much money last year uh, that CAPTCHA podcast got, uh, the one called <laughs> I'm Not a Robot. <laughs> Everyone clicked on that. Well, you know, robots are taking over, Mark. It was only uh, a matter of time before they started. <laughs> I can't believe I interrupted podcast. you to make that dumb, dumb joke. I appreciated it. I liked seeing where it was going. But go get involved. And if you cannot become a member this year, that is okay. Help us spread the word. Help us find people who are able. And we appreciate you being involved no matter what. Thank you so much. And hey, should we get back to that show? Let's get back to the episode. All right, Hal, what's next on your list? All right, uh, I'm going to go – I think I have to go with Yogi Bear. All right. I have to go with Yogi Bear as a as a finalist. I just think he's one of those characters – it's 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 weird to say he's lost in the shuffle, <laughs> the Hanna-Barbera shuffle. Sure. He's certainly not uh, the the star he once was. But in he their, was the protagonist of the uh, Universal ride. But he's the protagonist of the Universal ride. There's something about him that's that's uh that's very charming mm-hmm. and just that classic and who knows how many bear attacks he caused right. just by kids going <laughs> yeah. he just wants some of my picnic yeah. basket he's a gentleman bear who wants a picnic yeah. sorry Johnny but now your hand is none, a hook. none of those bears wore hats which is always a tip off that's right kids right. yeah if but grizzly man sure. had noticed that that bear was not wearing a hat 
maybe we wouldn't have the same ending to that movie. Yeah, that's the, uh, they teach you that when you go into a forest, if they say no hat but a tie, say goodbye because that bear will yeah. attack you. That's oh. bears figured it out. They're very smart, so they're yeah. like, oh, I'll put on a collar and tie. There's a bumper sticker for you mm-hmm. right there. That's it. Yeah, Yogi Bear was, and. Also, if you want to talk about influencing, especially within Hanna-Barbera, Yogi Bear was that the prototype of uh, a creature at odds in his environment with an authority figure. Yeah. That was that was continued with like Miguel Gorilla and all those other ones that we we mentioned before, because Mm -hmm. Yogi was, you know, always up against Ranger Smith. And I can't believe I'm actually saying this phrase. You can't discount Boo Boo. Yeah, <laughs> you cannot yeah, disc boo boo. Uh, some people to this day, you know, oh yogi, you know, yeah. to this day loved boo boo, but it was it was a buddy show. It really truly was. They they were they were pals, and Yogi was this lovable rogue who basically was a felon. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was you know he was smarter than the average bear, and he was still. Uh, and he really was the face of Hanna-Barbera for years and years and years. Yeah. I mean, the, you can still drive around this country and find Jellystone Parks because they licensed that, which was the park where, where Yogi lived. Yeah. The, there are, there are all across the country, like trailer parks and, and, and campgrounds that are named after yeah. Jellystone Park. I mean, Mickey got theme parks around the world. Yogi Bear got. Campsites. <laughs> hey, boo boo, there's a trailer tornado parks. coming. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think we should go to the storm cellar, Yogi. <laughs> and he was also the first, um, big screen production for, for Hanna Barbera. Hey, there is Yogi Bear was the first full length movie hey, made for theaters. There you go. That Hanna Barbera made. Uh, a terrible flop. But um, them swinging for the fences. They were swinging for the fences. They, they went for it. Their second full-length feature was A Man Named Flintstone, which was a huge success, which was based on the Flintstones, and it was a spy, sure, James and Bond our man spoof, and, yeah, and which the greatest spy movie ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's another show. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, hey there, it's Yogi Bear. He he was he was very huge. Um, Mark, all right, I have uh, this. This one's a bit of a cheat. Okay. But it was one that I loved <laughs> growing I was up. Just waiting for you to give a break. We're going to, that was a bit of a cheat. This one's a bit of a cheat. Sure. Um, because I loved USA Cartoon Express as a kid, uh-huh. uh, which was on the USA network on Saturday mornings. And they would play, uh, the all-star laugh Olympics. The laugh Olympics, uh, it, it's a bit of a cheat because it's like the, it's the Avengers Infinity War of cartoons. <laughs> it is, it is an ultimate, ultimate mashup. Uh, of everything that they did, the the Flintstones. It was it was basically the Olympics, but it was yeah, it was the good guys versus the bad guys from Huckleberry Hound, Quick Draw, Flintstones, Yogi Bear, um, Scooby Doo, the Grape Ape. Uh, I think even uh, Magilla Gorilla got in there, and yeah, yeah, you had Dastardly and Dastardly and, and, and Mutley were and the, the, from, from Wacky Races. Can you do the laugh, Hal? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, Amazing. Yeah, Hong God. Kong Fui was in there. And uh one that Hal and I were just talking about this morning, um, before we started recording, Jabberjaw. Yeah. Jabberjaw. Yeah. Uh yeah, well is- they kind of reversed the whole thing where the kids were the sidekick of the animals. Yeah. Um 
And it's just an, as, as I didn't, I never realized this as a kid, but, uh, Hal, Hal said, Oh yeah, shark curly. And I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, you never connected that it's just curly from the three stooges, but in shark form. Yeah. He says, I guess my kid brain did not connect to the two things. And when he gets scared, he goes, or, yeah. Or no, maybe I get it now, guys. I'm maybe you just didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I didn't want to think that Hanna-Barbera just. I want just, that to be honest. Ju- yeah. yeah. That they just took every great, every, like the evolution of a character was vaudeville, radio, television, Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> Clint, bring, bring us home. Give me, give us your third. Well, you've already covered one of them. Great. I mean, if look, if I figured we would start, we would get to this point now where we would start overlapping. Is there any before we instead of just doing another round? Why don't we right. just say, are there any that we have missed that we think that were in our personal top three? Mine got covered. Um, the only one that I would would at least have us entertain, and and mostly because of your recommendation of the Laugh Olympics, um would be i think the progenitor of it which was wacky races sure and and wacky races was influenced by an incredible movie the great race with mm-hmm. jack lemon and tony curtis yeah uh and movies like um mad uh, mad mad those mad magnificent World. men and their flying machines yeah it was a, a cross-country race um and it was just a series of sketches dick dastardly penelope pit stop the ant was it the ant hill gang um and it spun off into perils of penelope pitstop and dastardly and mutley in their flying machines um and it was i tell you what i can remember i was probably 14 or 15 and still watching cartoons we hadn't hit the line of demarcation for me which was josie and the pussycats that was the end of my watching and i watched them all no kidding but you could watch you could watch wacky races and be amused by it. Yeah, you know you you weren't going <laughs> to be challenged Josie by the it. Josie the Pussycats was just completely unamusing to you. Uh, well, I found it amusing in the fact that I I, I found the villains more entertaining than the the, the heroes, right. and the music was good too. Sure, but but it, yeah, they're a that great was, band. But oh, great band, yeah. <laughs> uh, but by that time, I'm like 15 or 16, and if I went the next day and told people, "Hey, did you see the Pebbles and Bam Bam show?" I was going to get you know physically assaulted. <laughs> sure, um, but not nowadays, my friends. You can wear that shirt to school proudly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you'll be very popular, right? Wacky races, maybe. I'm not going to. I don't think we should add it to our our list, but I I think it would be. You know, maybe on the fringe of the the top six or seven, maybe. Okay. All right. Um, well, Hal, do you have your your uh, writing numbers on a page? Well, we can, yeah, I'm just I'm figuring this out. So we have six finalists. I don't think I have anything else I would add. I don't think I do. We, we can do this a few different ways. We can take turns eliminating oh, these. Oh, 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 wait, oh, wait, wait, wait! Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Space Ghost. Space Ghost. Space Ghost. Yeah. Is it, is yeah, it bad I, that I'm way more into the newer iteration of Space Ghost than the old one? But that's uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. That's part of it, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that that's that also, and and Harvey Birdman, mm-hmm. but Birdman was really kind of a, a, a believe it or not, a knockoff of of Space Ghost. Right. Space Ghost was a superhero in space, but they went to Alex Toth, one of the greatest illustrators of all time, and said, "Design, you know this this character," and uh, it was. Listen, it's it's not going to win any awards for. You know, exciting plots. You're talking about seven minute cartoons. Yes. Right. Which, which 
they basically did the same plot, you know, every episode. But it was beautiful to see. It was awesome. And I, when I was a kid, Space Ghost, to, to me, was just a blast to see. It About halfway through the run, I went, wait a minute, they, didn't they just do that with Zorak? But I think that quality is what made Space Ghost Coast to Coast so funny. Right, yeah. Is, is the fact that, you know, that, that repetitive and, and everything else. But Space Ghost has to be... Uh, at least in the conversation of of, of top so, ones, but I think worth, you can an lump it all worth an honorable mention. Or are we putting him up here? I, would, on Mount I wouldn't put it. Up, I wouldn't put it up on the Mount Rushmore. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. As much as I love Space Ghost, and you know, again, if I had a camera, I'd show you my Space Ghost. Oh my God, I love it. Mock bust. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Space Ghost seems to me like the one that uh, that they came up with. One of them just said it to the other one in an elevator, and they're like, yeah. okay, like. There were just two things that were kind of in the world's mind at the time because it was, you know, that era. And, uh, Superheroes Bill, Bill in just space. just turned to Joe and was like, ooh, Space Ghost. <laughs> Let's do and it. And Joe was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, all right. I think – so we have six here. There are a few things we can do. We can eliminate these one by one and I'll, I'll leave this to you, Clint, which you would prefer. Or we can see if we have a consensus just out of these six right now. I I can see a top three. Is that is is that or yeah? Let's I mean, go to a top. Would three. that be a step? What would your What would your top three? Do you want to just all three say one simultaneously and see if we get three different ones to create a top three? Oh, sh- we can try that. That's, I love that. All right, all right. You ready? Is it a matter of volume, timing, <laughs> delivery? Let's go one, two, <laughs> three, the and timing. Then do it. All right. Okay. All right. Keeping all of these criteria in mind, yes. the best Hanna Barbera. Okay. All right. All right. One, two, three. Flintstones. Scooby Doo. All right, so we're down to two. Two Scooby Doo's and a Flintstones. Ah, oh, God, Johnny, I'm so sorry. Sorry, Johnny. Down. I know, poor Johnny. I feel bad for uh, Yogi Bear. Yeah, he's probably in jail by now, right? Don't you think? Have they ever made a film where he and Top Cat are both in jail together and they break <laughs> out? Oh, we didn't even mention Top Cat. Top Cat was their first failure in prime time. Yes. It was a blatant ripoff of the Phil Silver show, the Sergeant Bilko. And as a yeah. matter of fact, even had some of the same voices doing characters. Um, and but they did great with premi- ripoffs. Hanna Barbera that premiered- was stock and trade. Yeah, it was these, these fast talking cats and they had a gang. And, yeah. and I was a kid going, Oh, it's like guys and dolls, but cats. And it was terrible. <laughs> Hate wanted to love it. Couldn't stand. Oh, luck was not a lady <laughs> yeah. that night. When you see a guy eating tuna from a can, you can bet that he's Top Cat. It wasn't a good oh, theme song. No. <laughs> no, this was the theme song. Top Cat, the undisputable Top Cat. Oh, some folks get to call him TC. No, no, I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> sorry, Mr. Curtain. Yeah, please sorry, see the wait. God, please. But folks, before we let Johnny Quest go by, please watch the Johnny Quest cartoon yeah. they are and also the awesome. venture brothers yeah in that order yes yes exactly well, no. in that order. yeah you better in that it's order. better in that order so you can see um, the, the material first all right it's i think is it a matter of convincing you that it's scooby-doo over the flintstones hell you know uh i don't know that i need to be convinced interesting <laughs> i don't i thought yeah. i thought honestly that we were gonna have three different answers and we were gonna arrive at scooby-doo anyway yeah because he's become the he is the show. He is their most iconic character. He still lasts to this day. Yeah. And I know they're still making Flintstone stuff, 
They're like doing the WWE and Flintstones present Roxelmania. But Scooby Doo well, is actively the, in production still. There's still Scooby Doo. Here's, here's the strike against Flintstones. And, and that's tough for me because I, I really appreciate the historical contribution of the Flintstones. But, um, when you, you look at the, the innovations and you look at, at the changes and you look at all the things that have happened, eventually the Flintstones just became parodies of the Flintstones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were all these spinoff shows, but it was, if you really boil it down, it was kind of a one gag series. I right. know that they had great gags, but it was, Oh, the Mastodon baby's ho- trunk is the hose to wash dishes. Uh, and, and you always had four or five of those in, in the show. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Barney wasn't... trying to get Fred's pebbles. Yeah. And it... <laughs> Wait a minute. Now you need to really clarify what you mean by that. You mean the cereal, right? Oh, yeah. That look. Okay. Shout out to the Flintstones also cornering the classic Hanna-Barbera does TV commercials on Saturday mornings. So even what? if you're watching anything else at some point, you're watching the Flintstones in the 80s. Yeah. And and not only that, but for the first, oh, I don't know, the first 10 years of their existence, they would go out and get sponsors, and then they would create, you know, shows. Mm-hmm. Really and truly. I mean, I mean uh, and, you know, cereal companies, well, then we'll... Can we mention the banana splits at the end of the show? Let's go. Let's do it now because I we haven't. I we know what the answer is, and I'll I'll issue the the decree that will seal it. But before we seal okay. the records, let's let me give you some weird <laughs> some weird stuff that you guys need to watch. Okay. Please, uh, Pirates of the Dark Water. Yes. Okay. Which was probably the last really, even though it's very derivative, the last really creative Hanna Barbera cartoon. It's beautiful to see. It's like a fantasy sci-fi adventure mishmash that is just awesome. Um, and if you, if you look into Hanna-Barbera, they were always, these guys churned out ideas, some of them very derivative, but like they had, they had a primetime variety show called the Hanna-Barbera Happy Hour where they would have guests like you know, Robert Conrad and Linda Lavin, and it was hosted by two life-size puppets named Honey and Sis. I don't know if you can ever find that, but if you can, <laughs> watch it. Uh, the aforementioned Banana Splits, uh, where they had four characters uh, in costumes, and it was, it was their... Their Sid and Marty Croft to, homage, right? That, well, no. Sid and Marty Croft came after the Banana oh. Splits. And Sid and Marty Croft will, they always give, give credit to, to that, uh, to, to the banana splits. And they did musical numbers and they ran around and they had all these great adventure cartoons in it, like the three musketeers and, and everything else. Um, I want to mention also the new adventures of Huckleberry Finn, where they combined live action actors playing Huck. Yeah. And Tom and Becky and wait and they and then like like Song of the South style, uh, with them the live action actors uh-huh. in an animated setting, and they would go to all these different fantasy places. I know this sounds like I'm making it up, but <laughs> they they got lost in the caves being pursued by Injun Joe, and they'd end up in a land with pirates, or they'd end up in a land with with knights, and they'd end up in a land with monsters, and it's 
It's got to be seen to believe. And it Man. was a prime time one. It was it was one of their prime time ones. It's like Hanna Barbera just had the world's biggest bulletin board and every color of note card you could imagine. And they just <laughs> and a thousand of the note cards yeah. said werewolf, a thousand of them said pirates. Like they just basically went into what do kids like? Shuffled up a deck of those nouns and threw them up against the wall. But the one weirdo thing mm-hmm. that you have to look up and find. Okay. It, it was a two-part show. One part aired on January 18th, 1979. One on January 25th. Do you have a screen me. in front of you right now? No, I've I've got a book in front of me oh, that I'm okay. looking at this page. I was going to say, if you just pulled these numbers straight out. I have- no, no, no. It's called Legends of the Superheroes. It is a live action two. I'm not kidding. Two live action episodes with, uh, with the Justice League. Yeah. It is. They got Adam West and Burt Ward. Uh, and then they have Captain Marvel, Green Lantern, the Flash, Hawkman, Huntress, the Adam is happening. Black Canary. Uh, I want to say Howard Morris. Howard Morris was in it. Howard Morris was Dr. Savannah. <laughs> and by the way, I, I know this is way up to the fact, but Howard Morris was actually the person who played Dr. Little Ullman in High Anxiety. Oh. Um, Dr. Uh, Frank Savannah, Gorshin. Dr. Savannah sounds like a character on a soap opera. Yes. It was <laughs> Dr. Savannah from Captain Marvel. Frank Gorshin was the Riddler. Ruth Buzzy, Ed McMahon, uh, Pat Carroll. But here's the thing. The one episode was like this. I don't know. They they were trying to. They're all meeting and they've got a crisis and they got to deal with the bad guys. And then the second one is a roast. Yeah, a celebrity of superheroes. Yeah, you have got to find this. I know it's a. I've got an old VHS somewhere of it. But Hanna Barbera did this. Uh, It was after the Super Friends. It was kind of loosely based on the Super Friends. But you have got to see this just to sit there going. They did what? Are you kidding me? Weather Wizard is in it. It is absolutely remarkable. It just, you have to see it to believe. All right. All right. Well, you have your homework, people. That's right. People of the world. That Scooby Doo is a two time winner. Scooby Doo won best Saturday morning cartoon. Now has come back thanks to the expertise. Uh, and encyclopedic knowledge of Clint McElroy, both in his mind and the encyclopedia he was referencing <laughs> during this episode. Uh, Scooby Doo is the greatest Hanna Barbera cartoon and still going strong, like super strong. Uh, my friend Gray Griffin is, I believe she's the voice of Daphne. Is she Daphne now? She does really? like, she's, she's either Daphne or, no, she's not Velma. Linda Cardellini, I think, does. That's right. Still. Uh, but yeah, she's out there working. Linda did it in the live action movies. Did she do it in the Yeah, and Matthew Lillard took over Shaggy for for a time. I don't know if he still is doing it. Love Matthew Lillard. But I And and let's give credit to to somebody who we have not mentioned. That's um I I will mess up the first name. Awayo Takamoto, who designed all the characters in Scooby Doo. Um and was was kind of the visual creator uh, uh of all the looks. They originally did it and it was very dark. And very scary, and and the dog was like in the background, and the the people at CBS said we can't air this. Can you imagine that today? Yeah. We can't air this. And then when they brought Scooby to the forefront, that's what made it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the great Frank Welker, who's who, oh yeah, has been Fred, I think, for all time, and then took over as Scooby Doo 
and is like the king of creature voices is whatever age he is, God bless him. He's still like working and brilliant and doing it all. But Scooby-Doo, heard of it? Of course you have. You love it and you take it for granted. You don't even realize it's the best one. Yeah. You think of the smaller – you think of like Shirt Tails or Foofer or all those other weird – you think uh there's somebody out there who's going to go – why didn't you talk about wait till my father gets home? And my answer oh. is, have you seen the haircuts on that show? We should have talked about it, but we didn't. The best Hanna-Barbera cartoon is Scooby-Doo, Clint McElroy. Oh, I was really pushing for Johnny Quest, and I would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for those pissy kids. Oh, man. Uh, Clint, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, uh, my pleasure, was, guys. This was a lot of fun. You are a blast to talk to you about this stuff. You really know what you are talking about. Uh, what do you want the people out there? Where do you want them to find you? I feel like you've been plugging everyone's work but your own. Uh, down to Pirates of the Dark Water. I uh, never heard, know where to find us. Um, uh, well, there's uh, we're, the Adventure Zone, of course, on Maximum Fun. Um, we've got a, our second graphic novel uh, coming out in July. Um, thank you all for buying the first one. I, I assume all of you did, or else, you know. You're real jerks. Well, yeah. You're, you're going to hear from me. Um, and uh, we have a new uh, um, a five-issue miniseries coming out with Marvel. Uh, in March called uh, Journey into Mystery, um, which is part of the uh, War of the Realms, Jason Aaron's War of the Realms uh, massive tie-in. So so great. Yeah. And McElroy, I think it's McElroyFamily.com. Oh, God, I'm going to get raked over the <laughs> Not by us. Don't worry about that. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and uh, listen, I've had a blast, too. Have me back yes. for best classic Broadway musical. Oh, all right. Because as much as much as I know about Hanna Barbera, <laughs> it's nothing compared to Broadway musical. All right, you're coming back. Book oh, it. You're speaking my language. This this <laughs> uh, this topic has been settled. There's so many more out there. Here's how you can tell us about it. You can email us at we got this podcast at gmail.com. You can go to the Facebook group, talk about Hanna Barbera cartoons, share clips of the opening themes. Please let's start a thread. Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash we got this podcast. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at we got this tweets or check out the maximum fun subreddit. A flame war could be happening right now. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus for the longest document I've ever yeah, read. Well done. That Kate. was well done. Yes. Thank you. We really appreciated it. Uh, graphic designer Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. And thank you as always to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman for our score and what we believe is the best theme song out there yes uh sorry hannah barbera dude mike Furman, for our score and theme song respectively um <laughs> and thanks to you our listeners we want to just pile inside the mystery machine with all of you eat snacks in the back and uh go on adventures so thanks for joining us for this adventure thanks to clint for hal lublin i'm mark gagliardi for mark gagliardi i'm hal lublin and don't worry everybody we got this we got this maximumfun.org comedy and culture Artist owned, audience supported.